Good morning, everybody. Hey, just want to speak to anyone in the room that um, may not be familiar with church or the Lord. We have a lot of people that come every Sunday that are just exploring their faith, and they show up and they experience something that is different than where something they anything they experience other places. We love to tell you that that is the Holy Spirit. That is the spirit of Jesus, and uh, he wishes to let you know that God sees you, you belong to him, you've always belonged to God even though you may not have known it, and he wishes to share the very presence of God with you to make more room in your heart, as it says in Ephesians, for Jesus in your heart. And so we love to point out that it's not just an awesome band, which they're very good, but the Holy Spirit is with us and uh, reveals himself to us and so, so that we might move towards him and experience more relationship with him. I wanna to start today by just mentioning a few really cool things that are happening here at Cornerstone in the next, um, this week actually, and then in the months to come. Today, after our second service, our kids will be running for other kids in Uganda across the street at Fairview High School. We call it our Kids for Kids Run. They are running to help raise money for a bunch of kids that uh, now get to go to school, a school that did not exist about five years ago, but our church, along with another church, have been huge partners in uh, starting an incredible school and being a part of a church in rural Uganda that both of those things did not exist years ago. Uh, a revival has taken place, and as is the case with any spiritual revival, social change begins to happen, and so wells are dug and schools are started and businesses are started. If you would like, some people have asked, how can we sponsor one of the kids? You can head out to the table, the kids' table in the courtyard after the service and find out how to sponsor one of the kids as they run laps. I can tell you this year, the money is going towards um, hiring social workers who will actually visit the homes of many of these kids. Many of them li actually live in mud huts. There's no electricity, no water. And Uganda, unfortunately, is the country, the country on the planet that has the, had had the longest delay of getting kids back into school. It's the worst place on the planet for getting kids back into school right now, and the kids are that much more behind. And so the social workers are very much needed to assess where kids are with their families, but also the money is going to go towards helping some of those families with microloans so that they can um, start some businesses and make some money and help pay their school fees and all those things. And so very cool work. Go cheer on our kids. Sponsor one of our kids. Uh, also, this Thursday night, we're having a, a film showing here at Cornerstone called For Love of Neighbor. It's on the subject of... As Christians, how do we engage in local politics? So we just had an election and we're looking at taxes and different things. How is it that we're to think about local politics? And uh, really one of the reasons we're sharing it with you is not just because we wanna draw a focus to that, we pay so much attention to national politics, but it's the social politics and the, those things that actually affect people's lives, especially those who struggle with poverty. Uh, so we wanna draw your attention to that. But this is being led by our peacemaking ministry we want to get people together who have differences of opinion, who but share Jesus together, and practice what it means to negotiate our differences, because it's a very important theme. We're going to spend some more time talking about it today. And then lastly, many of you have seen in the news that the United States is going to be accepting several thousand Afghan refugee families. Denver is one of the host cities for that. Uh, many of you know that about 10 years ago, we had a very vibrant refugee ministry here where we brought over 40, uh, over 40 Burmese refugees. You have to work through these agencies that work with the United Nations. Years ago, the agency said, we no longer want to send people up to Boulder County. It's too far away. Well, because of the number of Afghan refugees coming, we now have an opportunity again. They're saying, we would love to work with churches just like yours and help reloc relocate refugees in kind of the Northwest Denver area. So... 
There's gonna be more news about that to come. Gene and his team has been networking. They've been communicating with these agencies and we're gonna need a pretty robust team of people to work with one or two or three families for, uh, really, it's a lot of work for the first six months. But I can tell you, I was a part of starting that ministry years ago, and it's been some of the most meaningful ministry I've ever done here at Cornerstone, and I've been a staff person for 20 years. And so I want you to know about that. We wanna help meet that need and um, welcome those people, not just to Boulder County, but hopefully to our community here at Cornerstone. All right, um, I wanna tell you a story about how Brian Carlucci naturally deals with conflict. And this is not a moment to praise myself, this is a moment to be humble. So uh, Elise and I met while we were in college. She was a student at CU and I was a student in Greeley at UNC. And we were dating long distance, just an hour apart. But every weekend, especially after I was done wrestling, I would come down and spend the weekend um, with her. And you know, I'd stay in a friend's house and we would just spend the whole weekend together. We were both involved in a campus ministry at the time called Crew or Campus Crusade. And so what that meant is that we ended up knowing a lot of the same people went on different summer trips together, different retreats. And I had a friend who was a good friend of mine uh, involved in campus ministry in Greeley who was friends with a young guy from Colorado Springs that happened to know my wife Elise through their connection of Boulder Crew. Well, one day my friend BJ pulls me aside and says, hey, I just want you to know, I won't name this guy, but I want you to know so-and-so is saying a bunch of terrible things about Elise. And he's talking trash about Elise. Well, of course that gets my attention. And I'm like, tell me, it all. Tell me all of it. <laughs> so he tells me all of it. And then I asked him this question. I said, what's his address? <laughs> and my friend BJ, you know, graciously gave me his other friend's address. <laughs> So he lived on the hill here in Boulder. And so on my way to Louisville to see Elise, I took a little detour and ended up on the hill in front of his apartment, in front of his door, knocking on the door one afternoon. And he came to the door. And I won't tell you all the things that I, I shared, but I shared with him that day that I had heard what he was saying. And I also shared with him that if I heard him saying anything like that ever again, that I would be back at this door. And I shared with him what would happen if I came back a second time. <laughs> As I was sharing this, his roommate, I could see his roommate pass the two of us. He's sitting at the coffee table playing video games. He pauses his video games and he looks at the front door saying, things are getting very, very weird here in my house. <laughs> I left that day very proud of myself. Didn't tell Elise for months to come because I didn't want her to know the kind of person she was dating at the time. I'd like to say that I've gotten a little better at dealing with conflict. I'm not super proud of that moment and the things that I shared with that guy. By the way, it did solve the conflict. <laughs> he never said a thing again. So, you know, maybe it was good. <laughs> this year, Elise and I are gonna celebrate our 20th anniversary. We're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary here at Cornerstone. We basically got married and started the same started the job I've had ever since the same month. So it was very, we haven't lived an exciting life. It's just all been here. <laughs> and one of the themes of those 20 years in terms of challenges that continue to be a challenge for me is learning to deal with conflict in a healthy way. So early on, told you a lot about just the conflict Elise and I had. We did not know how to fight fair. We were awful to each other. Um, 
our fights were not restorative. Our conflicts did not lead to um, resolution or reconciliation. It led to bitterness and pain. And so we had to learn as a couple how to deal with conflict. And then I was a pastor here at Cornerstone and working with other people, and I had to learn how to deal with conflict with coworkers. And as the years went on, Gene and I began to share just about all of the different responsibilities here of eldering and preaching and leading the staff. And we rarely had bumps, but there were times that we would have conflict together. And I can remember having two or three sleepless nights leading up to a moment where I knew I needed to share something with him. I was so uncomfortable. And it's not because of anything that he had done. It was just some narrative that was in my head and the fear of conflict not working out. And I can just remember just that horrible feeling of not being able to go to sleep. Your mind is racing. Anyone have that experience with conflict or coworkers? Yeah. And then... um, Being a pastor, there's conflict with people in your church, which is always very, very healthy. There's always expectations that aren't being met. And so it's a better uh, thing than to just be bitter or to assume that we know to actually get together and to work it out. And sometimes there might be arguments, there might be pushback. But over the years, I've had to learn how to deal with conflict. With my extended family, I've had to learn to deal with conflict. And I found out that as the oldest of three boys in my family, you can't deal with conflict the way that the Carlucci brothers deal with conflict. Not everyone appreciates that. (laughs) See, my brothers, you know, guess what they said when they heard I went and knocked on the guy's door? They're like, exactly, yeah, you know. (laughs) We do that to each other, and we hug afterwards and feel connected. But I've had to learn that conflict is very, very complicated, and takes tremendous amounts of training to be able to deal with it in a healthy way. So last week, I shared with you a story as we started this new series called Make Peace. I shared with you one of the great stories of reconciliation in the Bible, the story of Jacob and Esau. And if you remember it, uh, my, my points were simple. It's this, that conflict is complicated and easy to get into, and reconciliation is simple but not easy. And by the way, someone pointed out after the service that reconciliation is also apparently hard to spell for me. So we made a correction. You can put the corrected slide up. It only took a week, but we got it right, all right? I got a picture. Great sermon, but here's your slide. It's all right. That's what happens when a dyslexic makes his own slides, all right? But isn't this true? Conflict or conflicts are complicated. There's a number of causes. There's layers to it. There's history behind it. And they're easy to get into. Reconciliation is simple in the sense that it's just a few principles that God uses to heal things that are broken. But it's very difficult. It's hard to move back towards someone that has hurt you or that you've hurt. All of those things are true. But, you know, we need stories like Jacob and Esau that promote, like, this is what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus actually used that story when he told the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story, the son is rebellious, he runs away, his dad receives him, but the older brother rejects him. Jesus told that story to people just like us saying, you know what, there's a bunch of older brothers in this room, and you know the other brother, older brother you should be like? You should be like Esau who forgave Jacob. It took a very long time, but you should forgive Jacob. Now this week I've had a number of great conversations with people after that message, and there's a number of things coming back, like a lot of feedback And one of the things I've heard repeatedly is, all right, I'm dedicated to being a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. But it's it's one thing to be a peacemaker for a moment. It's it's another thing to stay a peacemaker. 
Because isn't it true that your overtures, your graciousness, your turning towards another person you're in conflict with often isn't reciprocated? It's not received. There's no movement back towards you. And that's really difficult. We have to give up control. We are not in control. Even as much as we get all excited about uh, the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul described, and, and trying to live at peace with other people and forgive, it takes the other party as well. And so it can be really difficult to stay in that place as a peacemaker when there's still conflict. I understand that. But it doesn't change the fact that God has called us to be a certain way and that this is the kind of thing God uses in a divisive, angry world to show himself off. And I don't know everyone in this room, but I know a lot of you, and you are passionate about making God known in the world today. This is one of the things that gets people's attention. All right, so as we focus today on one-on-one -on -one personal conflict, I wanna start by asking you a few questions and I'd prefer you raise your hand if, if these things are true of you because I want us all to share in the, you know, I want us to have the shared experience of we've been in the same place, all right? I want us to have some empathy for one another. So if this is true of you, would you just raise your hand then I want you to look around at all the others that you're in good company, okay? So here's the first question. When it comes to dealing with conflict, how many of you had something uh, either overly aggressive or passively aggressive modeled for you in your home? Oh, man. That's a fire ready to start, right? All right, here's another question. I kind of know the answer to this one. How many of you were mentored by your parents in healthy ways to negotiate differences with other people? A lot less. They're the sages, all the wise ones in the room. They have the secret knowledge. How many of you had the message communicated to you out loud or silently, this is a family system type of thing, that conflict is dangerous and bad and should be avoided? Pete Scazzaro, an author we love quoting here, he writes about emotional health and a lot of emotional health is learning to deal with conflict. He now spends time with church leaders all around the world and he's been doing, really focusing in on this for the last 20 years. He said it's not, uh, it's not an official survey, but he would, in his estimation, it's less than 1% of Christian leaders who have been mentored in conflict resolution. So what that means is, Whatever you got from your parents is not just your starting place, but it's probably the ending place. That is how you handle and think about conflict. And so one of the things we're passionate here at Cornerstone, passionate about here at Cornerstone is when there is conflict that we make sure that there's not room for Satan to come in and, and damage that relationship in a sense that there's, there's never resolution. But as God's people, we are, have the strength to move and turn towards another person and move towards them in humility, believing that reconciliation is possible. It may take a long time. It may not happen. It may not happen in our timeline, but God can use our movement towards other people. And so today I want to talk about how we negotiate conflict. And let me just mention quickly the six different types of conflict resolution that you see in the Bible, okay? So all of these are there, and we're going to focus on two of them today, but I want to mention all of them. The first one is the scripture often talks about just overlooking the offense of someone else. So someone harms you, it's okay to just let it go. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience it is 
to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, this isn't always possible, but it's often possible to just overlook it. This happens the closer you get with people because, you know, they're just things that we do. And if we were to bring up everything that bothered you about a roommate or a close friend or a coworker you're with every day or your spouse, there'd be never, there'd, there wouldn't be time for anything else. <coughs> but overlooking the offense, excuse me, is actually a form of forgiveness. It's a way to love the world. It's a thing that God uses. And so that's one of the ways conflict is dealt with in the scriptures. Number two, and this is one of them that we're going to focus on, is there's one-on-one conflict between two people. Conflict resolution. So one person goes to another person and has the hard conversation. This is one of those skills that we were getting at with those questions that we haven't really learned how to do very well. How do you actually go to another person? Why is it that we lose sleep? Why is it that we react? Why is it that we shut down? Okay, so we're gonna talk about that. Number three in the scripture is is one-on-one negotiation, which is a little different if you study it in the Bible. The first three are the types of uh, conflict resolution that most of us will deal with our whole life. The latter three are more uh, uncommon. So let me mention those quickly. Mediation is mentioned in the scriptures. That's where a third party enters in to help the two that can't reconcile together. There's also arbitration where someone else steps in to reach a decision. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the last form of conflict resolution, you could call it accountability, occurs when several people go to someone else to help them see what's happening. And there are cases in the New Testament where actually people in churches are asked to leave, not, because, not only because they're doing harmful things to other people, but mostly because they fail to respond to the feedback they're getting, okay? And so there, it, it gets to this place where it can be very, very um, serious. Now today I want to talk about one-on-one conflict resolution and negotiation, and here's What I want you to remember about today's message. The message is this when it comes in the scripture from Jesus. He says, when you have a problem with someone, go. And he says, go at once. And then I think there's also this message. He says, go when you're ready. So go. Go at once. So there is some urgency. But there's also this message, go when you're ready. And what that means is go when you're able to be a healthy person. So I got the go and go as soon as possible when I visited that guy's house. But I probably wasn't ready. I needed to calm down, get a little more clear. Here are the passages. This comes from Matthew chapter five, verses 21 and 25. You can read behind me, 21 through 25. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it, that it was said to, to my people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is the word for contempt or hate, okay, is answerable to court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is using very, very strong words. And this is what he's saying. He's saying you can't earn your way to hell by hating someone. But he's saying hell is one, or hate is one of those feelings that that is the experience of hell, okay? He's raising the bar though. You can't be with me if you fail to let go of the bitterness in your heart. It just is incompatible. 
Then he goes on to say this in verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your, you leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly. Then it describes what will happen if you don't. And this is a, a, a contextual uh, mention here. It, in Israel, if they had these debates, they would end up in a court that was ruled by the Romans. So the Jews, they're oppressed people. The Romans have conquered him. And Jesus is saying, you guys can settle your differences on your own. There's spiritual meaning here, but just practically, you do not want to end up in court with a Roman judge deciding. So that's what he goes on to say. But first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying here, reconciliation gets priority even over worship. It's more important. It should take precedence. If someone has something against you, whether it's true or not, we're called to turn towards that person. So just have this picture. You're, at, you know, you're looking away from the other person. Your backs are to one another. What Jesus is saying here is turn towards that person and move towards them. <clears throat> go, go at once. This happens all the time in people's lives, right? Someone has something against you. Uh, a number of years ago, we were in a staff meeting. I won't use names. And um, I don't even remember the context of the conversation, but something was said that I took as very sarcastic and passive aggressive from someone on our staff. And I got angry. Uh oh. And I went at the person in the staff meeting in front of everyone else because I'm just comfortable doing that. But it was completely inappropriate. It needed to be done in a different way. Well, staff meeting ends, and I just know that this person and I, we're not clear. He's mad at me, and I'm mad at him. And we both needed to move towards each other. And the way I remember it is we both met in the hall trying to find one another to work it out. And we did. And our friendship is stronger. Our relationship is stronger because of it. But Jesus says, go to the person that has something against you. So it doesn't even have to be your fault. Um, something's going on. You're not clear with someone. Go to them. Okay, here's another passage. Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, and the King James and NRSV and the ESV actually has a better translation. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, Okay, so you need to know that because if you just read it the way the NIV reads, it's like you're looking for people's mistakes and you're gonna go confront them. This passage is actually about conflict. The more literal translation, if your brother or sister sins against you, they harm you. It doesn't even necessarily mean that they've sinned, but they've done something that you've interpreted as bad and it hurts you. Go and point out the flaw or their fault just between the two of you. So again, go. Go as soon as you can. Go when you're ready. Then it describes what happens if the person doesn't listen, and that's where you get into these other layers, the accountability layers and mediation and all these things. But we're focusing on the idea of going to the person. So before someone has something against you, now you have something against someone else. So who's responsible to go? The person listening to Jesus right? It doesn't matter who caused it. The kingdom vision is restoration of all things. 
N.T. Wright says this about these passages, about how resolving conflict is difficult. He says, it will almost certainly involve climbing down off your high pedestal of which you have placed yourself, abandoning your position of superiority over that person that you're angry with. But genuine humans don't live on pedestals. They have their feet on the ground and are level with everybody else. So well said. But it can, get, it can be really hard to get off the pedestal, right? I've been harmed. I'm a victim. They're wrong. The message reads, that passage you just read, and the message it says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them, work it out between the two of you. Couldn't be said more simply than that. That's how clear it is. Jesus repeated this message over and over again. Go to them, go to them, go to them. Now, by the way, there's a part that if someone comes to you receiving that, you turn towards them. You have the humility to listen. You have the humility to share what your conflict is. And so this is what we're talking about, growing in this ability to go to another person and have the hard conversation. Now let me take you through what it means to be a peacemaker. I think these principles are helpful when we're having these conversations. Now it could be a conversation with your spouse, a roommate, a coworker, a friend. These principles apply. They're not necessarily linear. They all matter. And they're important to keep all of these in mind. I think they help us grow as peacemakers and are better able to handle these one-on-one conflict resolutions or these negotiations. So here, let me go through the, these, these six. The so first is that we need to rely on a dependence. Uh, or we need to rely on, have a dependence on the presence of God in our life. Most of the time, we operate in our day disconnected from God's presence, which is unfortunate because we need him. And it's also unfortunate because he's with us. So it's not a matter of being connected to him. The Holy Spirit is with us and all around us. He wishes to resource the things of God in our life. He wishes to share the qualities of Jesus with us every moment of every day. But so often we operate in our day disconnected from all of the things that come from being connected to the presence of God. And so we'll go through our day and we'll feel very depleted and we'll feel very insecure and we'll be very angry When you're connected to the presence of God, your heart is full. You feel loved, you feel seen, you feel strengthened. You feel able to do the difficult thing because this is all about being connected to him, resourced by God. This is about being connected and feeling safe and cared for. This is about being empowered to have supernatural insight and wisdom into conflict. It's about God sharing with us the fruits of the spirit. Now remember those in Galatians? Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. Now the, this list is posed or put up against another list of what he would call the, the fleshly um, fruits. Or, you know, so this is just what it looks like to uh, carnal or on our own to, that we live this way. And if you read the list that comes right before this, it's things like anger and hate and distortions and, and divisions. They're all relational descriptions of how we act. The fruits of the Spirit are relational tools. And so we need to be connected to God. How many times have you gone into a conflict where you felt uh, misunderstood and unloved? And the entire conflict was you trying to grab at those things and protect yourself. This happens to me all the time. What would it look like to go when you're ready 
Spending time with him, being with him, even if it's just a short prayer connecting to God's presence in your life, remembering that he's with us, remembering that we're loved, remembering that we can do the difficult thing. That person is much more ready to handle all of those negative emotions that come with conflict. We've heard it said many times that there's different postures when it comes to conflict or threat. There's the fight response. What it means to go when you're ready is that you're not so aggressive. There's the flight response, which means you run, you distance yourself physically and emotionally. By the way, you can be in a conflict and, phys- and physically be there, but distant, or emotionally distance yourself. So to be ready, to go when you're ready means I'm ready to engage with my heart to be vulnerable, to be open, to be honest, to be humble, to tell the truth, to actually say the difficult things. Uh, There's also the response of freeze. You just don't know what to do. Can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where conflict occurs and they just freeze and they don't say anything and then they go home at night and they say, why didn't I say something? So we need to go when we're ready. One of the things I love about Pastor Aaron Wardle is um, he's a normal person, like all of us. We have conflict, we have things, that, external things that stress us out, that, that make life difficult. But when there's a conflict that Aaron's having with me or with someone else, at some point, Aaron literally calls a timeout and says, I need to go away and be by myself. And the reason that's okay is because he always comes back to the person. But what he's saying is, I'm depleted right now. I need to connect to the presence of God. I need to be with him. I need his help. And then he comes back. And I can tell you, he's a different person. But this is true of everyone. But I love that he's done this. He's modeled this for our staff for years. He calls it getting quiet. I have to go get quiet somewhere. So he usually sits on his porch and he prays and he reads. And then a day or two later, he says, all right, I'm ready to talk. So we need this. So we need the presence of God. Number two, uh, we need to continually return to a kingdom vision of conflict. In the kingdom of God, conflict is not something, I mean, it's not something to celebrate, but it's also not something to dread. God uses conflict to build intimacy. Over the years, I've shared this from the stage. I've said that there is no intimacy without fidelity. That's true. You can't have intimacy in any relationship without fidelity. But there really, it's also true that there is no intimacy in a relationship without healthy conflict resolution. In the kingdom, Jesus says, all right, you're gonna bump into one another, but if you move through it, you're gonna have greater intimacy and the relationship is going to be strengthened and more resilient to other conflict that's to come in the future. And so one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that Jesus is removing the hostility between people. It says this in Ephesians. He destroyed the wall, all right? The the vision is that people could be reconciled. And so even though it's hard to wait, even though your heart can continually be broken because the person does not turn towards you, we hold the vision of the kingdom in the front of our mind saying, it's possible. It's possible. God can still work. And so we move towards others and we see that it even is an opportunity. So that's the kingdom vision. Number three is we articulate the hostility honestly and humbly. It's really popular today for people just to want to be a nice person and then they blow up or to be a nice person and then they just leave. Hostility actually needs to be communicated. If someone hurts you, you need to go tell them how it hurts you. 
And counselors help us with all these things. They say, use I statements. Don't blame the person. You did this. You did this. It's a lot better to say, it made me feel this way. When that happened, this is what I felt. Okay, I think most of us know those things. But those are ways to articulate the hostility that exists between people. There is such a thing as false peace, and it doesn't work. But we love it. It's a shortcut, we think, because we're so afraid of conflict. And we're like, oh, no one's mad at each other right now, but there's this thing that always exists between people. False peace is like a monster that just gets bigger and bigger and comes back to wreak havoc on relationships. And so part of being a peacemaker in resolving conflict one-on-one is being able to, in a humble, clear, um, honest way, communicate the hostility. So this is why also that part, go, go at once, go when you're ready. For me, this is go when you're ready. When am I able to articulate the hostility in a non-aggressive, non-blaming way? Because Brian is a rhino. So put your head down. It's going to hurt all of us. Aaron's laughing back here. Go when you're ready to articulate the, uh, the hostility in a way that the person can receive it the best. Okay, number four, practice empathy as a way to understand. So it's really popular today when we're talking about these big social debates, and we're not talking about all that today. We're talking about one-on-one uh, per- interactions and dealing with conflict, but it's popular today when you're talking about all the conflicts in the world to say, be curious, right? Be open, try to understand. Well, there's something to that, and there's something to that with just the other person. And it's not just about being curious how they came to that conclusion or why they did that thing. We're trying to understand. But in the kingdom of God, empathy really is the tool that God uses to heal relationships much more than understanding. What would it like for me to be you? to be in your shoes, to feel what you feel. We're all very aware of how we feel, but to actually work really, really hard to try to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of another person and to feel empathy with them. You know what it does? Even before the conflict's resolved, if there's empathy exchanged between the two people that are having a conflict, connection happens. So the conflict's not even resolved, but you're already building intimacy because you're sharing empathy. As Americans, we're not very good at this. As Christians, we're not very good at it. We have not had this model to us, and so we work to be empathetic with with others. Part of this is to try to find the common ground. What is it that we value together? We're aware of the differences, but empathy allows us to connect to the thing that is good and beautiful and true about the other person or even about us, and we share those things together. So we work to be empathetic. And, and then here's the next one. We take responsibility for our own actions. So this is where I think that the two actually do connect, even though I said this isn't a linear thing. I think it helps to be empathetic first before we take responsibility. And here's an example of it. So one way to take responsibility is that you confess your sins to someone else or how you've hurt them, or you've, and you apologize. You ask for forgiveness. So the way I am in my personality, it is, it's actually not that hard for me to admit my mistake and ask for forgiveness. But often, it is not received by the other person because it comes too quick. And it feels cheap to them. Now, it's not cheap to me. It does mean something to me. But it feels cheap to them. Because I have not experienced empathy with them for what I've done. But as soon as empathy is exchanged and they at least have um, 
some confidence that I'm trying to understand, that I understand how this could be very difficult for them, how I've hurt them, then the apology is much easier for them to receive, okay? But asking for forgiveness is not the only way we take responsibility. We make amends, we tell the truth, we give forgiveness, right? So in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob comes humbly, he's ready to, to make amends with his brother, he bows down in front of him. He knows that he's harmed his brother. He's willing to, to part with so much of his life to make things right for what he's stolen from his brother. That's how he's taking responsibility. But Esau comes in and the way he takes responsibility is he forgives the offense and he forgives his brother and he receives him relationally. There are a number of ways we take responsibility for the conflict. And usually, at least this is my experience, usually there is an exchange of asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness at the same time, right? Because conflict is complicated. And usually it's not just one person that's to blame. And if you're like Elise and I were early on, we'd have a conflict, it'd be this big, and then we'd harm each other and harm each other and harm each other and the conflict would be this big. So there was a lot to apologize about. And so that's part of one-on-one -on -one conflict resolution is taking responsibility for our part. In Luke chapter 17, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Now that, re that word rebuke comes off pretty strong, but it just means to go to them. Go tell them. And forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back and saying, I they repent, forgive them again. So taking responsibility, going to one another, asking forgiveness, giving forgiveness. Here's the last part I want to mention today, the last part of peacemaking. And in the past when we've taught on this, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I actually think it's so important today, things I'm learning. We have to understand that reconciliation is a process and it takes time. And we actually have to learn to honor the process in ourselves and other people. I would guess that many of you have been harmed by someone close to you. And you knew at that time that someday you would have to forgive them. Like you, you're, just, you're just smart enough to know that if you stay bitter towards your child or your parent or your, your best friend, that that's not gonna go well for you. So in your mind, you know that someday you're gonna, you're gonna resolve this conflict. But in the moment, the pain is so great it's so close that you're just not ready for it. That's okay. That's being ready. That's going when we're ready. It takes time to feel the sting a little less. And my friend Dan Lance says about conflict, he said, let time do what only time can do. Now, time can make things worse. But if you're holding the kingdom vision in mind and you're willing to take responsibility and you're moving towards the other person or making small steps, then time can be an asset that God uses to help one another be ready to receive each other after the conflict. Now, the more severe, the more complex the conflict is, usually it takes more time to move towards reconciliation. Uh, this is an early lesson we learned in our marriage. We would fight and we would fight, and we would not stop. It would like, we'd go on for hours, 
and we would be exhausted and we would certainly be disconnected from the presence of God. There was no resourcing of us. It was just, it was all the bad stuff that was, you know, that was coming out. And Elise and I would never get to resolution. It would just be this long, horrible fight over something that wasn't that big. And we got a lot better as time went on to say, you know what? We're not gonna talk about this for a few hours or we're gonna talk about it in the morning. And just giving it a little room to breathe made a tremendous difference for us. And I think it's because we were able to go away and get perspective. We were able to go away and calm down. We were able to go away and connect to the Lord that helped us. I don't know why Jacob and Esau took 20 years. You know, it took, I wonder how long it would have taken Joseph. You know, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Remember in that story, it says Joseph is there. Joseph watched his uncle forgive his dad. It was amazing, okay? He watched his uncle forgive his dad. And maybe his dad had told him all of his own failures. So many of you know the story of Joseph. He's betrayed by his brothers and he's thrown into just this life of suffering for 14 years. And then some, one day his brothers appear before him and the first time he sees his brothers, he sends them away because he's not ready. But this is what Joseph didn't do, what I love about Joseph. I think he's such a great picture, especially of masculinity. He was not ready. He sent them away, but he knew that he had to face his brothers again. He needed to move towards them. So the next time they come, it's this amazing scene. I didn't even plan on sharing this with you, but it's an amazing scene. Joseph says, he reveals himself, I'm your brother Joseph. They don't, they don't recognize him. I'm your brother Joseph. And he says, come close. Because you know what had happened for Joseph? Time had given him perspective. So he no longer, because time had passed, God had used time to, to replace the narrative. He was a victim. He was a victim. His brothers were awful, but the narrative had now changed. He's not just a victim. God had allowed this to happen for good. This is what time can do. It can help you see that God is using the conflict. And I don't know if we're ever gonna be grateful for all of those things, but at least for Joseph, he said, hey, the narrative has been changed. Time had changed the narrative, and he even needed a few more days to be able to receive his brothers, but he took the time he needed. Go, go as soon as you can. Go when you're ready, he was ready. And a family was healed. What an amazing picture, right? Do you think... He was thinking of his uncle forgiving his dad when he forgave his brothers? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a powerful thing to share with your kids and your grandkids is watching you be that type of person. All right, I wanna close with this and then I wanna give us a moment to listen to the Lord. And so um, I've hinted at for the last few months that I've been dealing with a conflict and which is true. And um, I can tell you, the time is helping and, and both people are moving towards one another. But another thing that's been very helpful for me is that there's been a handful in this, in this case of older men who have come alongside of me and they just keep telling me, don't give up. They basically just, they, they're like the coach. They're like, do the right thing. I don't want to. And they say, who cares, Brian? <laughs> do the right thing. If you're not ready to do the right thing, let's get you ready. And I've had some older men help me. And one of them is a man that's a part of our church. He's a, a dear, uh, dear guy and has been a part of this church in this building since it was built. So even going further back than Cornerstone, his name's Gary Stanley. And a few months ago, he gave me this sheet of paper 
And you can see the picture behind me. And it's, it's a picture of a Rembrandt picture called um, The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, or many people just know it as The Storm. And I love how just Gary shares things. And he said, Brian, I want you to look at all of the faces. And so he had zoomed in. I can't do that for you today, but he had zoomed in on all the different faces of the disciples in the middle of the storm. And what Rembrandt did so well, and it's not necessarily in the passage, but I think he's just taking some creative liberty that's actually helpful and it's okay to do. He's imagining the story as it could have been. He begins to paint pictures of people's different reactions in the same storm. So all the disciples are in the same boat, in the same storm, with equal access to Jesus. But they're responding differently. And so you have some of them that are frantically working to save themselves. You have others that are frozen and afraid. You have some that are praying. You have others that have lost hope. You have people trying to control the situation, control Jesus, shame Jesus, accuse. Some are upset. And he's, so he had me look at it and just say, isn't this what life is like? And he was sharing some empathy just as a pastor. Isn't this, isn't this what your church is like? The storm of life, everyone's seeing things differently, reacting a different way. But then he said, this is what your conflict is like. There, in this particular case, no one is evil. But you see things very different. And that hasn't changed, even with many conversations. But there's one thing that, took, that got them through the storm. One thing that kept them together as friends. Kept them relational. Kept them moving towards each other. And what was it? It was the presence of Jesus in their life that they allowed to transform their heart, that is prone to divide, it was the presence of Jesus in their life saying, be loving, forgive, overlook the offense, articulate the hostility, share empathy. I end with this story because of this. There are a number of things that we can do to get better at dealing with conflict, but there is one person that when he is in the scenario, he changes everything, and it's Jesus. And so I want to return to that idea that we need to rely on the presence of God as we deal with these things because he knows the way. And he will share the things that will get us unstuck. He will, he will break through the things that need to happen. And I can tell you that that has been the case in my life. When there's enough time and room for God to move, he will work among people who are turning themselves towards one another. All right, so I want to go to the quiet place of prayer. And then we're going to end with one song. Just going to give you a few minutes here. And again, like last week, I'm up to let the Lord draw a particular relationship to mind for you. You might have a lot of conflict. But let the Lord bring one to mind.
And this is how I want you to close today. I want you to picture that person in your mind and then I want you to picture Jesus there with you when the conversation happens or when the conversations happen. Let him be the anchor, the one that orients you in the middle of that storm. If it helps, picture Jesus smiling at you and the other person because you are doing a good thing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the many ways you lead us and the many ways you help us. But you are the peacemaker and you wish to disciple us to be like you. Help us turn towards you to follow your example, to listen to your voice. Help us rely on you. And Father God, we pray as we did last week, we pray for healing in our relationships that are broken. Whether it takes a day or 20 years, we ask that you would move. Help us be people who are part of that healing process. Use us, change us, help us grow so that we might be ready to be the people who can come and be humble, come and forgive, come and ask for forgiveness to make amends. Help us be those people, work in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together.